0: Hi, my name is Sarah Morgan. I am
1: an Antarctic penguin keeper at SeaWorld on the Gold Coast here in Australia. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people join me on my raw safari hi hello hello how are you welcome back to the raw safari podcast all right y'all. So this is the start of a promised couple of weeks that we're going to be spending down under. We are heading off to Australia. Uh in part why I wanted to do this and I just think this is really cool is you may remember uh that at the end of last year we spent some time with our friends Tess and Daisy at the Trainer Talks and Tales podcast. I was on their podcast, they were both here. They even helped out with the Zoo News episode and honestly, that was the most fun collaboration I have ever taken part in. I love those incredible women so much and uh, the work they're doing both at their facilities and on their podcast is not to be missed. And it really paid off. A bunch of people who are Raw Safari fans have started listening to Trainer Talks and Tales and a bunch of Aussies have started listening to Raw Safari, which makes me so happy. Y'all don't understand. When I was growing up, I was obsessed with Australia, obsessed. In fourth grade, we spent an entire half the year in geography class making a presentation and a big like poster about a country and I opted to not only do Australia, but I didn't make a poster like everyone else. I found this display board somewhere that was a triangle, so it was about – Oh, I don't know, six feet tall, taller than me at the time and uh, had three full sides and I did three full sides all about Australia. I have always loved it there um, despite never making it there. Well, not making it there. Yet. But uh, all you Aussies that I talk to keep giving me more and more incentive to come to the land down under and hang out. And uh, I'm telling you, it's going to happen. I'm, I'm excited to come and hang out with all my friends. But um yeah. So we are going to be talking to some people in Australia for the next couple of weeks. And uh, I'm just wildly excited about all of it. And we're starting off with a new friend, Sarah Morgan. And Sarah works at SeaWorld, as you heard her say in the intro. And, uh, she's taking care of penguins. And we get into a lot of really cool stuff about training and also about, like, how to get into the field in Australia, which is definitely different than, uh, how a lot of people are doing it in the United States. There's, there's a thing called a cert there. And I'll let, uh, I'll let Sarah tell you more about it. But, um, Honestly, it's the kind of thing that I wish that we had more of in the States. I think it's a really cool thing. So we talk about all kinds of good stuff. And uh, obviously, this was a Zoom interview. So you're, you're getting your Zoom audio, but, um, it's, uh, it's well worth the listen because Sarah is just an incredible individual. And I think you're going to be really inspired by this episode. So, um, we'll get to it in a minute. But first, let me remind you to make sure that you hit subscribe and make sure that you're following along on the socials at Ross Safari every everywhere except for TikTok where I'm at Rossafari pod because see, if there's one thing I learned from all of my Aussie friends, it's that you're supposed to abbreviate things and so a podcast is a pod or as uh, Tessa likes to call it, the potty, which sounds a little too much like potty to me. But uh, enough of the goofiness. Let's get to it. Here is my interview with Sarah Morgan from SeaWorld. (laughs)
0: been there for about five months now. I'm quite new into the role, but so far it has been extraordinary. It's obviously been the highlight of my career so far, and I've already worked so much and achieved so much. So yeah, I'm excited to get into that and tell you a bit about that as well.
1: Nice. I'm very excited. Penguins are such cool animals. I love them so much. Um, I do a lot with uh, Penguins International, which is just an amazing conservation organization. So, yeah, I'm glad to have you on.
0: Amazing. So, tell
1: me, um, like, what your history is like when you were like a little, uh, a little Joey. Since you're in Australia, there, <laughs> um, did you uh, did you always know you wanted to work with animals, and kind of what brought you to this this new position you're in?
0: Of course. So I grew up in a very small country town. So I was always around wildlife. So I guess that in a way was always ingrained in me. I learned how to respect wildlife at a very young age and so on. But I wouldn't say that I I thought I would be doing a career in wildlife. I always respected and loved wildlife, but I never really knew there were a lot of jobs. I knew of vet clinics in our area, uh, but I always kind of thought, oh, you have to go to uni for many years to become a vet. You need to be very intelligent, very hardworking um, in your studies to be able to do that. So it wasn't really ever something I considered until I actually graduated and then um, was just really lost thinking, what do I want to do? With my life, I always knew I wanted to do something I was passionate about. I knew I could never do the typical nine-to-five and an office life. It just was not for me. Loved the outdoors, loved the beach and animals. So I literally wrote things down on a list of what I loved to do, and that was being around animals, being around the ocean, and being around nature. And um, a few of the careers that were popping up in my mind and when I was doing some research was to do with animals. And I actually began as a vet nurse around about eight years ago now. This is when this all kind of started. And I, yeah, signed up to a course and found a clinic where I could do my learning. And that's kind of how it all began for me.
1: Okay. That's interesting. That's, that's really cool. Um, I'm, I'm confused by how it was eight years ago since you would have been roughly 10 based on, uh, how how you look, but you know, whatever, whatever, that's fine.
0: (laughs) No, I, um, no, I am relatively new to the industry. I mean, eight years is is not very long, but, um, yeah, I was back, I think I was, uh, 19. Yeah. When I started vet nursing.
1: Wow. So what did you, uh, what did you take away from that?
0: Vet nursing was amazing. I did it full time for five years and I, it wasn't until it got until the 2019 2020 bushfire era. I'm sure you've heard of what happened here in Australia. There were catastrophic bushfires all along the coast and even inland as well. And being in Sydney at the time, I was always seeing wildlife coming in, whether they have singed feathers or burnt paw paw pads. And I just had this massive realisation of, oh my gosh, this is what I need to do. I need to slightly pivot and move more into a wildlife stream. So at the clinic I was at, even though We weren't strictly a wildlife clinic. We were very lucky that we got a lot of wildlife coming to us. So every day there would be some sort of uh, wildlife coming in needing help. And I was kind of the nurse that would take them under my wing. And I'd love to have all the baby possums and things and nurture them back to health. So that was kind of my thing as a nurse. And that's how I then discovered, oh, there is another pathway into animals and I actually then uh, put myself forward for the certificate for an exhibited animals course. And when I did that is when I opened myself up to this amazing industry that we, that I'm in now.
1: Awesome. And okay, so let's pause for a couple of things here. Um, because most of my audience, I do have people around the world that listen. And, uh, thanks to, uh, the Trainer Talks and Tales podcast and, and working with those folks a little bit. Um, I, I actually, my, my second largest listening base is in Australia now, but the vast majority of people that listen to this podcast are in the United States. So there are two things that I want to kind of discuss and make sure they understand. First of all, you said baby possums and, that is a different animal than the opossum over here, which a lot of people call possums. So can you just give a quick, like, talk about what possum you're talking about?
0: Sure. So here in Australia, we have a few different species of possum. We have most commonly brush tailed possums and ring tailed possums, which are very cute, small, little marsupials. Uh, They carry their young in the pouch. They're very, very cute and sweet. And they're not pests here in Australia. I know in other countries they are pests. Here they are native and they're actually uh, essential to our ecosystem. So they're actually what we call a and the name has fully escaped me right now. A keystone species. Oh okay, my goodness. There we go. Sure, yeah. Um, keystone species. So they do things like help to with pollination and they help with um, diversity in our plant species so they're actually really great here in Australia and we do have the predators to actually um, keep them at bay so that's a big difference is we have things like snakes that will not let the possums take over so um yeah that's what I talk, that's what I'm saying when I am talking about possums so please look up a ringtail possum Australian ringtail possum because that's generally the species I'm dealing with and you will get what I mean when I say I was literally holding them in my chest and
1: nurturing them back to health. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I have I have seen uh photos and such of of possums and they are just yeah, they are absolutely ridiculously adorable. Um and then the other thing that you mentioned was um the the training that you got that helped you transition into your current uh, career, um, which I believe you said was Cert Three, and to most uh, people in the United States, that doesn't really mean anything. So, can you explain what Cert Three is and and what that system is?
0: Yes, I do realize that Australians will shorten everything. So, please <laughs> pull me up on that. A Cert Three is a Certificate Three, and it was basically at. I'm not sure if you have an equivalent whether it's college or um, what you would call that but it's essentially it's not university it's where you go to get a bit of a more streamlined certificate and not necessarily a degree but some sort of premise to be able to say I have studied this and now I am qualified so I'm a massive advocate for TAFE and for vocational education in general, which is an alternative to university here in Australia. So here in Australia, the TAFE course right now, which is the certificate Three in exhibited animal care, is actually one of the most desired courses that you can take to work in a facility with animals. So back in the day, it was very much university is the only way, whereas now... The case course being so hands on, it is actually more desirable for employers. So um, that's what I'm talking about when I say that. And essentially, it was a one year course where I actually moved up to Queensland to do it at a facility there. And I completed the year learning fully hands on how a zoo facility runs. Um, I would actually shadow keepers and they would mentor me on their day-to-day ins and outs, go on with the feeding and the cleaning and the training and the enrichment, everything that they do in their day, I would shadow them and I would help them to do. So that's essentially that course and yeah, it has absolutely gotten me to the position where I'm in now because it is a requirement for a lot of facilities now, as I said before.
1: That's awesome. I am a firm believer that, um, especially in the States, you know, there's such focus on getting a, a university education, a four-year degree, even a two-year degree, something like that, um, where you study a bunch of stuff that doesn't relate to the career you want and all, all those things. And that's cool. And there's a place for that. And I have one of those. I've never used it a day in my life for like a job, but like, cool, I have a piece of paper. Good, good. But um, I think I'm a huge advocate for just like, showing people how to do the thing, mentorship and that kind of thing. And that sounds more like what the cert three is. And that's really cool. And then you still get the piece of paper that says, Yeah, I can do the thing. So that I, I really dig that. That's cool.
0: Yeah. We even have it at my current workplace at SeaWorld where we have groups of students come in every year just like I did. And a lot of them do end up getting jobs after. So it is showing it it's really working.
1: Nice. Very cool. So um, let's talk about uh, some of the facilities or some of the animals that you dealt with. Like, tell me your career from vet nurse to, um, you know, where you're currently at at SeaWorld.
0: Yes. So I will say I was at my normal vet nurse job one day in Sydney, and I literally went to my car to have this interview with um, someone in Queensland to join this new tape course. And I, she fully understood. She said, I know I work with animals too. I know it's hard to get away. And this is your one lunch break in your car doing this interview. So she was very understanding and yeah, kind of got the drift already that I was hard working. I was dedicated to this. So she was very happy with the interview and put me through to be a candidate for the course. And then, yeah, I got a letter saying I was approved. So my amazing husband came with me, he moved, we moved all our life up to Queensland uh, in a, to be able to do this course. So I did it at a facility that I used to work at, so that was awesome because I literally came in, I would know how the facility ran, and I knew the animals, and I was very fortunate enough that not even halfway through my course, I actually got a position there as an education officer. So that was my first taste into the industry. As a casual education officer, I would come in and work with reptiles, some mammals, some birds, depending on the day. And it was honestly the best experience, the best case into the industry I could have asked for because I did get to work with a lot of different species. And I was learning so much because I had to educate. I had to go to schools and talk to the um, children and the students, and I had to be the educator. So I was learning a lot, and then in turn, I was teaching. And then around about six months after being in that position, I was then uh, moved into I guess another similar department, I was moved into the animal training and presentations department where I did a lot of um, work with training animals and that was kind of my first taste into that. I did bird shows and presentations around the park and I predominantly did work with birds but we also had mammals and some reptiles and things like that. So... I did spend around about a year in a part-time position there as a presenter and animal trainer. Um, and through that year, I learned so much about foundation training, so much about uh, animals and uh, running a show and how the ins and outs of that works as well, and just a lot about the industry in general. And then it wasn't until... September last year that I accepted my role as a penguin keeper at SeaWorld. And I guess that's kind of up to date now where we're at.
1: <laughs> nice. Well, that's very cool. Um I I I I'm so curious when you moved into the the training and presentation stuff. Um, first of all, that's, I mean, that's, that's a lot of stuff. Uh, it, was that the kind of stuff Had you covered that stuff in cert three or was that stuff that you had to learn, you know, for that job?
0: Yes. So in the cert three, we did learn it. It was very basic. And as I know, assumed because the cert three is literally a year. So if you think about when you go to university, it might be three, four years. Um, degree. It's a one-year course. So it is a bit of a snapshot into everything. So it was a very basic overview. Uh, so I did learn a lot on the job, but to be completely honest with you, and I think this is a sign of the time, I did a lot of my learning externally. So I listened to podcasts and I would look up papers and I would speak to other industry professionals. And I did a lot of my learning through that, going to conferences as well. So, um, yeah, definitely learnt the basics on the job, and then everything else. It was really kind of up to me to do my own research, and I feel that that's still me today. And I think I would never want to lose that because knowledge is power, and we keep want we want to keep learning, and we want to keep bringing in new ideas and staying current with the time, You know, in this industry, things change quickly, and to keep
1: up very cool so yeah i think that's uh i i really respect that i think that's something that's something i like doing i i learn i Mm. love learning my own stuff i mean when i decided to create a podcast i learned how to do it on my own and figured all this out and you know i just i think that's very cool so that that does show a lot of um a lot of passion and a lot of drive, which I think is really cool. And so, um, before we move on to the penguins, um, you know, we're talking about the, the training and the presentation stuff that you did. Um, and I'm curious, did you have any experience as a presenter in any other way? Like, were you ever a performer? Were you ever, you know, doing, I don't know, high school musicals or something like that? Like, or was that your first time getting up in front of an audience? All right. We'll be back after this quick break. What's all around you, almost everywhere you look, and makes your life better? Birds. Learn all about these beautiful creatures in this wonderful new podcast called Birds of a Feather Talk Together. Two experts guide two newbies on their journey to learn more. Mallard ducks, ivory-billed woodpeckers, Hawaiian honeycreepers, blue jays, cardinals, sandhill cranes, and more. Each week we discuss a different bird and walk away with a better understanding of the birds all around us. Oh, and we have a ton of fun doing it. Listen now. You're going to like learning about these birds. I guarantee it. Yeah,
0: it's quite interesting how we get into... The presentation side of things because there are a lot of people who are just animal people and that's what they know and that's what they love and that's what they bring. Whereas I feel like I was more of a performer, presenter. So I grew up uh, literally dancing, singing and acting and playing instruments my whole life. So I found this job extremely cool because I could combine my passions of performing and animals into one job. So that's, yeah, kind of how I came into it. But in saying that, presenting on a stage with animals or singing and dancing on a stage, it's completely different. Um, You have to be so observant and on the ball and ready to adapt when you're working with animals. So it was still really challenging and really rewarding in that way as well.
1: That's cool. So I'm, I'm a professional musician. That's like what I do for a living. I'm a drummer and I can, I will just tell you that you have to, you have to be pretty, uh, pretty aware and pretty willing to adapt, uh, on stage, even when there aren't animals. If, if you're working with some of the guitarists I've worked with there, which are, let's be honest, they're basically animals, but you know, um, and frankly with worse training than, uh, than many of the animals that you've worked with. Um, were there any particular favorite animals that you worked with, uh, before this current position?
0: Absolutely. So even though we were a bird show department, we did have a few other animals and we had one mammal who was a possum. And I know you've already learned about my love for possums, (laughs) so you know where this is going. But Rubik is a brush tail possum and he was just awesome. He had so much potential for behaviours, and I actually uh, worked with him very closely, and I was able to put together a string of behaviours for him to do in our bird show. So he was a bit of a cameo in our bird show, where he would run up a hollow and then come down, and it would be really great because it would teach the audience about the importance of possums and the importance of their homes being hollows. So. That was a big career highlight for me, was working very closely with him, um, establishing a recall, a rapport, um, just a strong reinforcement history with him, because I find mammals and birds very different to work with, and I know I have a history that is predominantly birds, but I find them a lot easier to read than mammals. That's my opinion. I'm sure other keepers and trainers would have different opinions. but uh mammal precursors I feel are not as easy to read, so I found that extremely fulfilling because it was also challenging as well.
1: That's really cool i I really love that um and I love that we just keep coming back to the possums. <laughs> that's great um cool so let's talk about your current position so you've been there for five months and you are loving it and SeaWorld is an amazing facility there and um so tell me about your penguins yes I work with King and Gentoo penguins
0: and if you have no idea what they are Basically, in the 18 species of penguins we have in the world, the king and the gentoo are the second and third largest. So they are kind of big birds. Uh, We work with them very closely. We focus a lot on training and enrichment. And enrichment is my favorite thing in the entire world. So I could talk about this. Four days. Um, let's go. No, was, let's
1: go hard into this. Yeah. I'm excited. I <laughs> Penguin enrichment, go.
0: Yeah, well, I was extremely lucky to be gifted the ability to actually uh, bring in a brand new enrichment program to the penguins at SeaWorld. So I actually created a goal-based enrichment program, which was basically built around penguin natural behaviors. So I spent a very long time researching penguin natural behaviors and bear in mind, I had never worked with penguins before this job, so (laughs) I was learning a lot too. And even though they are birds, they're different to flighted birds, so I had a lot to learn. And I did, I did a deep dive into the natural history of penguins and their behaviors and then I actually reached out to other professionals and uh, you know, listen to podcasts, did all that, and created an enrichment program that is based on their natural behaviors. So, how it works is that essentially you have a goal for each session, whether that be cognitive, social, sensory, um, a few others as well. But you basically want to exhibit a natural behavior in that penguin um, by giving them the choice, the antecedent arrangement, or the enrichment device. To be able to do that, so for example, our penguins at SeaWorld love bubbles, Um, or they're highly (laughs) engaged with bubbles, I should say. Um, And that's a massive visual or sensory behaviour that they. It's really important that they exhibit. So penguins have extremely good eyesight; it is their strongest sense, and it's very important that we are visually uh, stimulating them every single day, as well as their other senses and other things they have going on. But that is a major one for the penguins for sure. That's
1: really cool. That's a lot of fun. I like that. I, I, I noticed that you, you were, you know, careful with your, your anthropomorphism. Um, and, and so I'm kind of curious what your take is on that. I actually, um, even though these episodes won't be back-to-back, I, I did an interview today where I talked to someone else about anthropomorphism, and I feel like, to a point, I think it actually helps with connection and engagement, and then to a point, I think it can become a problem. So I'm curious if you if you have a take on that.
0: I'm really impressed you picked up on that, actually. I <laughs> There are a few words in my vocabulary as a keeper and as a trainer that, over time, You want to change and you want to um, evolve with the times. And that's kind of what I was saying by doing your own research and keeping up with that. So, yes, that is something that I still work on. And it is easy to say, oh, they love this. They love that. They don't like that. It's very easy to get in that. And I do agree when I am talking to guests because we do close-up encounters with our penguins. So when I'm talking to guests, it is hard to not getting the habit of saying, oh, yeah, they love that. So I I am trying my best to change my vocabulary. And instead of they love that, they're highly engaged or um, they don't really like that, um, they seem to avoid that item, things like that. But um, in general, yes, I do try and, yeah, not use those words. So I haven't really created a strong... Um, decision on this in general, but I at the moment I am trying to keep up with the times and use the language that is appropriate for now and the research that we've done. And I think there's a lot to say about um, interpreting data and interpreting. With my enrichment program, um, we would like to get to the next stage where we are really going into depth and interpreting the data of seeing what they are highly engaged with and what they are not. So um, yeah, I think the research that's happening right now is probably going to help us get a bit more of a um, understanding of all this, including myself.
1: Definitely. I think, I think, yeah, I think it's always, it's such, it's such an interesting discussion and I don't think there is a one right answer or anything, but like, I know that I connect more when I can feel some connection to something, when I can, when I can relate to something in some way. So like, you know, it's not like when you said, oh, the penguins love bubbles. I was offended and I was like, Arr. but at the same time, you know, maybe a, a pure scientist would be. So I think there's that it's, it's that interesting balance of like if a, you know, if a kid comes up to you and is like, oh, the penguins love bubbles. You don't want to correct and be like, well, actually, we don't know. You know, there, there's that weird balance. But um, I do respect always trying to keep up and, 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 you know, do the research and figure it out that that's definitely important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think just awareness around it is important here
1: for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, what are some of the other enrichment things we've got? We've got bubbles, which they do not love. Let's be very clear, uh, <laughs> which they seem to be be engaged with. So, uh, what else? What else are you doing with this program?
0: Oh, yeah. There's there's a lot. So, if you're if you're looking up natural behaviors of penguins, you're going to get hundreds. You're going to get lots of little micro behaviors within one behavior. So there's a lot that you can do. Um, A lot of, I guess, the ones that they do find the most engaging is, um, as I said, bubbles. They uh, tend to be drawn to, yeah, the more visual things. So I like to bring out fairy lights as well. That's one of my favorites for them. Um, But also, obviously, water, aquatic behaviors. So, um, Gentoo and King Penguins, there isn't currently a study that will tell us how much they're in the water, but there is a similar study on Adelie penguins and they're in the water probably around 60% of the time of their day. So it is a lot. So, um, and you think of a penguin, they also sleep when we sleep. So it is a lot of the time that they're in the water. So we do a lot of foraging enrichments in the water whether that be foraging balls and mats where we stuff fish into them and then they have to find them and actually work together to get them out. Uh, or we do a lot of different levels of foraging in the water, so um, shallow water foraging, mid-water foraging or sea floor foraging. Jesuit and king penguins can actually dive to uh, really amazing depth they get down to two three hundred meters underwater. water wow. so yeah it is important that we are getting them down to the bottom of the water there and then also that snorkeling and corpusing and all the other things that they do on top of the water as well so that's the most interesting part is that um, my brain has been challenged to think outside of oh let's do a foraging enrichment to oh, is it going to be a shallow water foraging enrichment? Is it going to be a deep water foraging? Is it going to be on the surface? Is it going to want to exhibit corpusing or snorkeling? Yeah, there are so many different, it's literally limitless the ways that we can um, engage these animals. And it is really important because from my observations, they are super intelligent and they are, Super stim- they need to be super stimulated um, because they do actually lose attention uh quite quickly from things. So yeah.
1: That's very cool. Um are the do the two species live together or do you have two separate exhibits that you're dealing with?
0: They all live together. Oh my, so my gosh. King, yeah, we have forty two in total. So <laughs> king, <laughs> yeah. So king and Daisy Penguin. Yeah, on their Antarctic uh, sub-Antarctic islands that they live on, uh, King and Gentoo penguins will commonly cross paths. They will actually commonly live on the same island. There are records of hundreds of thousands of the birds living on the same island at once. So it's very common for them to live together. However, it's very interesting because even though they live together, they're still a colony of King penguins and a colony of Gentoo penguins. So It is extremely interesting to just observe their social dynamics as well. Penguins are extremely social animals and it's been really fun to kind of watch those dynamics and how they change uh, with their seasons of life as well.
1: Well, and that's, I'm so glad that you said that because that was going to be my next question was just that I know that penguins are basically a bunch of little soap operas when they're all hanging out together. Um, so with that many, uh, how do you, how do you accommodate for that? And what do you, like, what are some things, you know, explain to my audience some, some of the the behaviors and the the social stuff that you see with these birds? Yeah, well, we're
0: very lucky that even though they are extremely social, and yes, they can be very dramatic at times, we see, that um, they they are still a colony at the end of the day. From what I've observed is even though they might have you know their best friends within the colony that they like to hang out with in the day, they still socialise with the rest of the colony, and even though they may have their disagreements, one penguin gets a bit too close to the other, and they start to kind of... Um, tell each other off vocally, then at the end of the day you can see them um, actually close together and having a positive interaction. So we're very lucky that we we don't think is what I'm trying to say. So okay. that's a good thing. Um but in general we still have some social enrichment goals. So we will train them separately for most of the time, Um, and that's simply because we have different goals with the different species, and they are a little bit different with how they respond to training as a species in general. And then we will have times where we actually want to integrate and bring them closer together, so the two colonies together, uh, like they would on their island. So we will do different enrichment sessions where we place things around the exhibit, or we bring out... Certain items that the Gentrys really like and kind of bring them closer to the kings and vice versa. So, there are, yeah, we are very conscious of still socializing them together as well as um, creating a really strong bond between their conspecifics kind of as well.
1: Nice. Very, very cool. Uh do do you ever have any penguin drama in the the um you know the romantic sense or or anything crazy like that? Because I know I've heard stories.
0: Absolutely. Um we have just finished up with our gentoo breeding season, but I would say that is the most dramatic out of the two species. We're currently in king breeding season. And you know they're actually they're they're pretty chill. They're actually pretty cool. The kings in their breeding season. Um, The gentoo though, we know, you know, penguins are not monogamous. In gentoo penguins, they do not stay with one partner for life, and even for a single season, they may not stay with that partner. So, gentoo penguins are very funny in the way with how our exhibit is. Um, set up and I assume they would do this in a wild setting as well. The gentle penguins have a wall where they like to create their nests on. So they actually collect rocks to build their nests and they choose where they want to put it and they actually collect their rocks one by one all by themselves and put it on their nest. And that's awesome. I love that they do that. But um what then happens is they might be with their partner on their nest and doing all those beautiful socialization things like bowing or singing to them. But the next minute they might go behind the corner of that wall and start mating or doing something suspicious with another gentoo <laughs> penguin. So we've seen that happen a lot. We've seen Um, one of their partners finds out about this fiasco happening and then biting the other (laughs) partner and we're... Definitely seen our their share
1: of Gentoo drama, that's for sure. Oh, wow. You guys have a little back alley where they get to go be naughty. That's amazing. <laughs> Literally.
0: I'm going to start calling it that. I'm going to call it the Gentoo back alley. That's yes. perfect.
1: Perfect. That'll also probably be the title of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Oh, that's really fun. I love that. Um, do you find that when you're, you're training the penguins, um, you know, especially when you first got into it, were you surprised at how smart they were? Were you surprised at how hard you had to work to, uh, you know, maintain their interest in all of that?
0: Yes, I was definitely surprised. I came in to the department, When a lot of the training was fairly new, Um, I think penguin training in general in facilities is on the newer side. You know, we've always seen dolphins and seals doing these amazing behaviours and cooperative care, but penguins, I feel it is quite a new thing and it was exciting. So when I came in, I, yeah, was pretty impressed with what they were doing and could see so much potential and was so excited to do more so I am practicing a lot of patience with the penguins in training sessions I think that's really important because they are such a social animal I think that there's a lot on their plate and a lot on their mind you know even though they might be um, paying attention to you as a trainer in that session um, Twiggy behind this penguin could be You know, calling to that penguin, or um, swimming, or doing something that is more exciting or is distracting. So there's a lot of going on, and I think before I actually came into penguins, I hadn't really dabbled in working multiple animals at once, or working uh, an animal in a in an exhibit where there were so many animals. I was very um, I guess privileged to work one on one an, with animals in the past, so that was very new for me as well. Coming in and seeing, oh my gosh, there's 42 penguins right now, and I've got to do a training session, and I can't just, you know, say, oh, can you put those ones out the back for a minute because there's nowhere to go. It's, it's one exhibit; they all live together, uh, and yeah, that that was really great for my development as a trainer for sure.
1: That's really cool. How do you, um, like, what are some steps that you take to adjust to that?
0: Yes, I think in general, I just had to practice a lot of patience and I had to get very comfortable with reading my surroundings. So as a trainer in a session, I'm very used to observing one animal and their behaviors, their cues, but I had to actually then observe all the animals around them, their behaviors, their cues. Um, So I just had to become very multi-talented and become very observant of everything happening around me.
1: That makes a lot of sense. Um, I have been on exhibit uh, with a couple of different penguin species um, and during feedings and stuff. And uh, yeah, there's a lot going on uh every time that you're there it's 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 very um i don't know if overwhelming is the right word but it's a little bit overwhelming uh <laughs> whereas when i'm on exhibit with other animals i often find that it's just not that big of a deal but uh penguins always seem to have something going on and and like you said they're kind of sneaking up behind you and one's trying to eat your shoelaces while another one's distracting you and yeah it's it's it's, it's been interesting.
0: Yes, definitely. I think one thing that really helps us, though, and what has combated that and streamlined our training is a system that we've created. It's a corral system. So we actually have a perspex set up, and we have doors on either side, and one penguin enters at a time. So that has revolutionized our training for the penguins. And it has really helped me when I've been developing these new behaviours. Um, I've actually just kind of in process of doing a voluntary body check behaviour with our Gentoo penguins. So they enter the corral system, they station, and then they actually um, receive a cue to the body part that is yet to be touched. And as long as they I say consent, but as long as they stay still and they don't seem stressed like they're trying to move or um, turn away, then that body part will be touched and then they'll receive their reward, which is their fish at the end and they'll be let out of the corral. So um, that's been really exciting. I've started with voluntary kill checks, which is essentially part of the sternum. Um, And it tells us a lot about the health of a bird. So um, checking their keel. And then we are going to be moving on to voluntary wing band changes uh, shortly as well. So they're really exciting things that we're working on. And it's helping with our cooperative care um, in general with the birds.
1: Wow, that's really amazing stuff. I haven't really heard of, of much stuff like that out there. So that's very cool. I, I like that a lot. Um, nice. I, I um, you know, I think we've gotten a good overview of of everything going on with the Penguins. Um, but I, I have to kind of pivot for a second and ask. So one thing that I know about you because we met on the online on the Instagram machine, and um, you have a whole lot of videos of you in the ocean, uh, snorkeling. And so I'm just kind of curious, um, is that just a hobby or, or what is, what is your deal with that? And, um, how big of a part of your life is that and how much does that help you connect with animals and everything? Yes.
0: Um, that is purely recreation. Okay. So I, I started free diving, um, just a year ago now. I, Met a really great friend who was into it and we just started going out together to our local reef and I, yeah, quickly became very intrigued with it. Not only because of the experience with just wildlife in general, but also just the feeling of being in the ocean and being free is just something that, yeah, is not... Not comparable to anything else I've ever felt. And I've, even though I didn't grow up by the ocean, I've always loved the ocean. And yeah, it's just been that one kind of more, I guess, just a step closer into being one with the ocean and living my mermaid dreams in general. So <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's something that I do regularly. I do it every day I can. So every day I have off. I'll check the conditions. If it's good, I'll go out. Um, Yeah, it's just something that's become a big part of my life recently.
1: What's the coolest thing that you've seen while doing it?
0: So many things. I will never forget the first time I saw a leopard shark. That was incredible. That was over in Byron Bay. But more recently, I was just up on the Great Barrier Reef and I saw White tip reef sharks, and that was really, really cool as well.
1: Wow, that's awesome. Do you ever uh, see any sea turtles?
0: Yes, all the time. Oh, they're one of my favorite animals. We we have a local reef, literally 10 minutes from my my house here, and it's about a 400-meter swim out to the reef, so um, a bit of a swim out, but when you get out there, it's just Turtles everywhere. There's a uh, local turtle there. with named her Kira after Kira Beach, and um, yeah, there's a lot of life just on our doorstep there, which is amazing.
1: That's incredible. I I would I would love to do that. I would love to experience that. That is that is amazing. Ah, oh, that's so cool. I yeah, um,
0: absolutely. Come to Australia and. Well go for a dive.
1: I mean, that's I, I, I'm not kidding when I say like my big goal for the next like, I don't know, year or two is to get out there and visit a bunch of these facilities and, you know, hook up with the amazing guests that I've I've talked to virtually now. Um, and just kinda hang out and yeah, no, I wanna I want to come see SeaWorld. I want to, I'll go for a dive with you, go hang out with Dr. Claire Madden for a little bit. And, you know, um, we had an amazing episode with her to to kind of start off the, um, my season when, you know, when I changed seasons, uh, in the summer and yeah, just, um, the team from trainer talks and tales and my friend ran howell up at wildlife Sydney zoo. And yeah, no, this is like, this is something that I really desperately want to make happen. And I would, I would love to have you show me, some sea turtles that would be incredible
0: absolutely i mean the good thing about australia is even though we're spread out we're still the industry is quite small so we do know everyone and um yeah we'll definitely all hang out that will be easy enough to do for sure
1: amazing all right well i have kept you long enough so we got a couple of things that we need to do to wrap up here first of all are there any conservation organizations that you'd like to give a shout out to
0: Definitely. I have to shout out the SeaWorld Foundation. I'm very lucky to work at a place where I can proudly say, you know, we rescue whales and sea turtles and seals. It's the coolest thing ever. I really believe in that foundation. And yeah, they're just doing amazing things. Research, rescue, release, all of it. Um, But I guess something that Uh, not so close to home that I actually really enjoy as well is the Take Three for the Sea. I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but it is has been around for a while and I actually was one of their very first supporters. I bought one of their first T-shirts. And I just think their mentality is really cool. Their mission is literally to take three for the sea. So you take three pieces of rubbish every time you leave any waterway, ocean, lake, which is
1: just so easy to remember and so impactful. Oh, I really like that. That's really cool. That's uh, I, I have not heard of that, but um, I'm a fan of that, and we'll try to incorporate that when I'm around the water. I'm not around the water as much as you, so it'll be a little less impactful, but I will, uh, I will keep that in mind, and I'll check that out. That's very cool. Um, oh, I like that a lot. That was a good one. Well done. It's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show, but there's one tale left to go. You're going to laugh and say, oh no, it's time for the safari Poop Story.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay. I need to tell everyone that I have worked with mammals, birds, reptiles, you name it. I have never smelled worse poop than penguin poop. I just have to say that first of all. Okay. It is the worst. Now, I have a couple, but I'll just, I'll just do this one. I, um, anyone who knows me knows the, one of the favorite parts of my day when I'm working with the penguins is the shoveling. We get to go up and shovel snow and it's the coolest thing ever. And, um, (laughs) we wear these really big snow clothes and it's just so much fun. So we go in and we're shoveling the snow and we bring these big buckets out because we're obviously filling the buckets with not only snow, but penguin poop as well. And one day I was so excited. I get really excited for shoveling. I'm like, yeah, shovel time. Let's go out, team. Let's shovel. I had a big smile on my face. I was laughing or we cracking jokes with each other. And I was probably a bit too happy because the last kind of shovel I did the snow and all the other content on the snow slipped off the shovel and went straight into my mouth. (laughs) And now I know what penguin poop tastes like as well. So that's my poop story. Poop story.
1: Amazing. (laughs) Sarah, this has been so much fun. Thank you for taking the time to do this.
0: No, thank you so much, John. I had an amazing time and I can't wait to go for a dive with you in Australia soon. Woo.
1: And there you have it, folks. Uh, I am so excited about our little trip to Australia here, even if it is only digital for now. Uh, on a completely unrelated note, if I have any really rich listeners that feel like sending somebody to, oh, I don't know, Australia – I would not say no. Just, just, just putting that out into the world. No, I'm sure we'll get there and I'm sure it's going to be absolutely amazing. Um, but yeah, thank you all for, for being here and for being part of this adventure. It really does mean a lot to me and, uh, to all of my new Aussie listeners. Um, it's just so cool having, having people listening from Australia it, it truly does mean the world and another thing that means the world to me is that I have patrons so I want to say thank you to all of my patrons especially my red panda level patrons Dr Lara shank Dr Stephen Williamson Barbara Bennett and Jenny Owens and remember that you can support the podcast financially for as little as three dollars a month by going to patreon.com Safari. and uh, that's all I've got to say this week other than of course to remind y'all that the word credits backwards is Styderk. the rossafari podcast is produced hosted and engineered by john rossi editing and fact checking by john and dr zoe rossi our theme song is sevens by nathan burke performed by nathan and john interrupting john theme and additional voices by taylor isaac gray you can reach john directly on instagram and facebook at rossafari or by email at Rossafaripod at gmail.com Ross Safari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.